The Beer Edu Podcast, Episode 52, Math Reps Part 2 with Jeremiah Roosh. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. All right, Kyle, hey, we are back. Yes, indeed, Ben. How's it going? I am good. I am good. This is episode 052 of the Beer EDU Pod. I am Ben Dixon. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at B Dixon NV and you, my friend. I am Kyle Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at Anderson EdTech. Also find me on Instagram at Anderson EdTech and my blog, AndersonEdTech.net. And like you mentioned, this is the Beer EDU podcast where we like to have conversations about education while having a beer. So, Ben, why don't you start us out? What do you have to drink with us tonight? Okay, so I went with uh, something, probably I would say not a win- not a fall or winter beer. I went with Odell Brewing, and I believe they're out of Colorado, and it is their Sippin' Pretty, and it is a fruited sour. So it's a pretty low ABV. It's 4.5%. I don't know the IBUs on it. They're not. It's not on Untapped. It's not on the can. Um, but it's pretty much. Uh, I'm not. A, we we were talking before we started recording about different fruit fruit beers, and I'm not a huge fan of the fruits. I like sours, but this one this one's pretty good. It's got black currants, kind of with like a blonde ale, and they age them in wine barrels. So it's it's pretty. It's pretty easy drinking, um, kind of a lighter beer. Um, but you, my friend, I feel like went with the total opposite. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, what you got, I mean, I, I know you do the sours every now and then, but yeah, definitely yeah. not your normal style. You're usually drinking no. something closer to what I got tonight. What I picked yes. up to, for tonight, <laughs> we we talk sometimes, or you have conversation with friends sometimes, how when a really strong beer is like drinking gasoline, Yep. Um, this one is jet fuel. This <laughs> this, this one's intense. This is the Bell's double two hearted ale. Yeah. So I I have not been shy about my love for Bell's two hearted ale because yep. between the fact it's just a great beer and then it was really the first true craft beer I ever had as right. a young man um, who of course was twenty one when he had it for the first time. Of course you were and everything. <laughs> um, but this is the double IPA version of that beer. And um, this one, this is 11%. Yeah. So you got the double digit ABV going on and then it's 91 IBUs. Wow. So they went double across the board on it. So sometimes your double IPAs that they, maybe they'll double up on the malt to get the ABV up. Maybe they'll double up on the hops. Yeah. They doubled up on both. Yeah. I I almost feel like I need, I think three of mine equal one of yours. We'll just go with that. That's pretty darn <laughs> close. So, but this is—I mean, it is strong, but, but it's this is amazing. Smooth. Yeah, it's wow. very smooth. A lot of pine. The hops okay. are getting out pine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're using Centennial hops in this one, according to the bottle. Uh, okay. The back end after the pine, it's very malty. It's got that nice malt backbone. Yep. Um, usually, with a beer this strong, you get a little bit of heat from the alcohol. Nothing. Yeah. Not getting wow. that in this one, and. Um, this is definitely not a lawnmower beer, but um, <laughs> because it is now getting close to winter and there has yes. been a little bit of winter weather in our neck of the woods, maybe we can call this a snowblower beer. 
Yeah, there we go. I I think we have to start a new thing. So snowblower. Yeah, because you know you want to drink something. You want to keep it, keep yourself warm. Snowblower. You're not moving that fast. And if you fall down, you're in the snow. So I think you're good. Yeah. So I think this could be the snowblower beer here. So. There we go. But hey, we have a guest, Kyle. Yes, we um. This is a this is a very unique uh, guest here because yeah. this is our first um kind of a series. Uh, a sort of episode here where we had Lisa Nowakowski last right. week talking about math reps and we talked about having her partner to come on and talk about it as well. And he was gracious enough on such short notice to, we were able to arrange this wow. and get him on here today. And, uh, and you so, kind of, you kind of did call him out on the episode. I'm just going to say I did, but to tell you the truth, I, I think I contacted him before that thing fully posted and actually it hasn't posted yet. It's not, no, as no, we're recording no. this, it is not posted yet. So that's true. He hasn't heard it yet. So but without <laughs> further ado, he's called out. Jeremiah Roosh is joining us tonight. Yes. How are we doing, buddy? Good, man. Thanks for having me on you guys. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's been a long time. Man. Coming on. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, um, Again, thank you for coming on on such short notice. Um, like we, we recorded with Lisa, and we I was on I was on Twitter within a couple of hours, probably after Ben and I figured out when we were available right. and asked if you were, and uh, you were like, "Yeah, yeah. let's do this." So, um, yeah. so yeah, thanks again. Of course, of course. So. I uh, would like to add to the beer knowledge here. Yes. Um, so I am drinking a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale as my go-to. Um, it is the finest of the backbones, if you will, on a, on a winter day. So, yeah, that's, um, yeah. we, we've had that one on here. We, uh, sing the accolades of Sierra Nevada quite often. So absolutely. Uh, yeah. I'd, you can never go wrong with the Sierra Nevada pale ale. I, I feel like my beer fridge always has at least two or three in it. It's that's like a, a go-to. It's a solid. It's a, yeah. It's a, it's a solid staple, especially with winter coming on. And yeah. it's in my old, uh, my, my alma mater was in Chico state. So. Oh, all right. So, oh, nice. Yeah. 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 And, and this one always brings back fond memories of uh, hanging out with my buddy, Mike, uh, when I was living in Vegas, uh, before I had kids, we'd go to the sports book and put in some bets. And then there was a bowling alley bar in the casino we'd go sit at. And then we would drink Sierra Nevadas, have a couple of those, and then to uh, cleanse the pal a little bit and rehydrate, we'd have a Coors Light and then go back to the Sierra Nevadas. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> got to get that Coors, that uh, Rocky yeah. Mountain water in, you know? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Make sure you rehydrate. rehydrate somehow. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right. So, well, again, thanks for coming on, uh, Jeremiah. So, you are a math consultant yes. in California. And yes. so, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, so I was a high school math teacher for several years and then um, had the opportunity to work with the school district as a math coordinator. And uh, so I was working with kids K-12. And uh, so I did that for seven years and then um, just started working for Kings County Office of Education as a math consultant. And so I do a lot of work um, with one school district in particular right now uh, doing tier three intervention for mathematics. So that's been keeping my keeping me busy during the day. And then I have a six month old son at home, so it keeps me busy during the night. <laughs> wow. So, so what does that look like? Like, what is it? Yeah, what is it? So, you're a math consultant, but you're are yes. you focused more on supporting kids within that tier process, just with tier three? Like, what does that look like? So, right now, it's a it's they're kind of constructing it as a um, a first time experience. Okay. Um, so, we're kind of designing it as we go. Uh, okay. So, my days are working with. Um, students that have been identified um, mm -hmm. through their selection process. And then uh, I work with them in small groups uh, during a, a pullout kind of a model. Oh, okay. 
um, and mostly working with fourth through eighth grade right now. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. at, so at, that, at four different sites so oh wow okay so then it's just a combination of like pulling kids into those small groups or is mm -hmm. it like a combination of tech using tech or or like what is that i'm just uh, interested because i have kids yeah. in those areas and i'm like yeah. oh, i'm here to steal ideas Let's absolutely um there is a lot of technology pieces uh including uh including some of like the, the stuff that we're going to be discussing later uh -huh. um, that i want to incorporate later but in the rooms that we're servicing uh that the technology is not always available Okay. Um, even though the school district itself is one-to-one -one with iPads. so Now, you mentioned um, Tier 3. So for, mm -hmm. for listeners out there that may not be familiar with the tiers and what everything, can you sure. kind of go and do a little bit about what that means and how it relates to math and what you're doing? Absolutely. That's a good yeah. question. Uh, so in Tier 1, is that's normal your normal instructional kinds of things. So that's what we as teachers do every day. And then your Tier 2 is usually done by either an instructional aide or the teacher itself. Um, and that's usually done in the classroom, and it's usually around a specific skill that the, that's been identified that the students need help with. Mm -hmm. And tier three is kind of the catch-all, where it's it's more direct one-on-one -on -one instruction specifically for the student, um, meeting them at their needs and giving them alternative instruction that's different from their tier one and tier two. Okay, so, and you're working with the students and um, the one-on-one -on -one instructional assistants, the teachers and everything, yeah. um, pulling, pulling students in order to get them there the the assistance that they need then yeah yeah exactly so they've been identified through a process and then i work with these small groups um in conjunction with the teachers i have a partner an ela partner so we we're tag teaming so i work mm -hmm. two sites um for 30 days um with a specific skill set we identify so we do a diagnostic that usually takes about a week to kind of get through the kids on and then once from that we pull uh depending on what the the skill is and then we have to kind of decide like what uh what particular skill would be the most benefit for the most mm -hmm. number of kids within that short amount of time and then designing a process to help build that particular skill up in those kids so it's been now, a, and then you mentioned that you, you taught high school math yes, for a long yeah. time and now you're working you said mostly with fourth through eighth graders so yeah what kind of a transition has that been um just kind of shifting your mindset well originally <clears throat> I, I taught uh like i said in high school and so going my first years in at my old district um, that was a big, uh, scary kind of change. My, I was, I taught teaching. I taught teaching. I have good English too. Uh, <laughs> I, I started working with uh, teaching in in college, and then I was always wondering, like, how did you get to college and not know how to do and fill in the blank, right? Mm -hmm. And so, from that, I, I had the opportunity to start teaching at high school, and so I did. And then I got wondering about how did you get to high school and not know how to and fill in the blank. <laughs> So it just became like this journey of like, um, it was originally just mathematics, but now it's just like learning in general, like how, right. how do people learn? Um, and so my progression to uh, the job at the district level, um, I was able to work with younger and younger kids. And mm -hmm. so like my first lesson in second grade that I ever did uh, was probably one of the most nerve wracking days of my life because <laughs> here's these little seven year olds and mm -hmm. I have a horror story of like my first day, my first year on the job, I had a, um, I had to step in for a, a vice principal for uh, a quick like for an hour he had a meeting he had to get to there was no one else around mm -hmm. and so i stepped into this class of second graders and within 15 minutes they were like approaching me like zombie style and they were like <laughs> just wanting to hug me and like say hi and stuff like that and i had my clipboard in my hand and, and a pen in the other <laughs> and i'm literally against like the wall going if anyone comes in right now i'm pretty sure i'm gonna be fired because <laughs> there's like there's like 20 you know seven-year-olds around me like saying we love you teacher and i'm like i you, you've known me for 15 minutes how do you <laughs> yeah 
yeah that's, that's why elementary is kind of rad because yeah. you know like <laughs> they are like super stoked that you're just there yeah. <laughs> i i have a similar one when i yeah. subbed kindergarten a handful of times when i when i was in college and uh, nice you, you'd have like there's the rug in the room and it's story mm-hmm. time so i would do my best to sit down because because I am just, I'm a large dude and You're sitting a dude, down yeah. on, a, on a rug is, is a tough thing to do. It's a process. Yeah. And then, so getting down the rug and then all of a sudden there's five kids, two of which have their heads on my lap pretty much. Yep. And then one yeah. like sitting, like pretty much like right on top of me, like yeah. on my legs. And uh, yep. it's like, okay, I don't know whether to think this is the most awesome thing in the world or just to be really, this is really awkward right now. I don't know. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. I, yeah. I, I feel, I, I totally get your, uh, your zombie story there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. El- elementary, you learn in elementary to, to the master of the side hug. You're mm-hmm. like, okay, nope. Okay. High five. High five <laughs> yeah. to knuckles. That's what yeah. we do. Plus, plus here's the thing that you learn in elementary. Hands are sticky or wet and you yes. really don't want to know why. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> I was, uh, I was doing a lesson uh, in kindergarten with a, like number talks mm-hmm. and I was filming it to see how I was doing. Cause it was a new, new strategy. And I, when I was doing it, I remember thinking, boy, there's a lot of kids that are eating boogers right now, but it wasn't until <laughs> It wasn't until I went back to watch the video to realize how many kids there were and how yeah. many kids I had given high fives to. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and it was like that scene in, um, oh, was it uh, with Jim Carrey where he's where he finds out Einhorn is Finkel. Finkel is Einhorn. Oh, Ace Ventura. Ace Ventura. Oh. And he's like in the shot, like, ah, like trying to clean <laughs> My daughter's teacher on Class Dojo, the message a lot of times is we could really use hand sanitizer and tissues. Yep. That's elementary school, man. Especially this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, hey, you brought some, and this is a question I have, and it kind of goes back to your, what you're doing with tier three. You brought up Mm -hmm. the the number talks thing. And Mm -hmm. I am always curious about what people do when we talk about kids in the tier process. And we talk about Mm -hmm. like those, like oftentimes it's like, okay, we got to fill all these holes. Like this kid has like a number sense hole or anything like that. Do you find like, like using number talks, do you find that sometimes is beneficial with those kids? Is that something that you're trying with kids right now? Uh, not directly with kids okay. in, in the number talk uh, with the tier three kids. Um, we're doing a couple of different things. Uh, to answer your question, number talks mm-hmm. is one of the best ways to get kids to, um, to be able to make sense of things and mm-hmm. to realize that, like to honor their own thinking and to realize that they, uh, they, have, they have thoughts in their head that one mm-hmm. are probably unique to the group that they have mathematical thoughts that are unique right also that they have mathematical thoughts worth sharing um so those two ideas alone are really powerful for kids um the other thing is is that i tend to like get shy like i want to shy away from what kids can't do and i like to okay. think of, th- of things of what kids can do because talking about all the things that kids can't do or holes or gaps or whatever mm-hmm. um, all that's doing is just identifying like all the things that they're unable to do but it doesn't feel like it has forward progress to it, if that makes sense. And so, no, that totally does. So I, I really like to focus on things that kids can do um, and being able to build off of those. So, for example, um, you know, if I have a student that has uh, – I have a student right now that I'm working with. She's a fifth grader, and she has struggles with uh, comparing size of fractions. So okay. we're looking at one-third and one-fifth, and for her – the one fifth is bigger than the one third. And I thought mm-hmm. it was just like a whole number connection, right? Like right. Um, he's thinking five is bigger than three. So mm-hmm. that's obviously the case, right? Now it's part of that. But when I would, when we were looking at alternative methods, right? So we we're looking at area models and looking at, um, you know, like set models and linear models mm-hmm. for, for them. She was still convinced 
that the one fifth was was actually bigger than the oh, one third. Wow. And so I actually took a um, I took a, uh, a sticky note and I had her cut it into three equal pieces. And I took another mm -hmm. sticky note and we had agreed before that they were the same size, right? And then mm -hmm. she cut it that into five equal pieces. And then when I held them up and I asked her which one was bigger, she still said the one fifth was bigger. Wow. And so, uh, you know, so here's a, like an yeah. area model where you're, <laughs> where you're literally seeing. And then I said, interesting, because she could with the, um, you know, how like you get those fraction kits, yep, right? They have like trips. Yeah. Yeah. The, oh, the yeah. strips on them. She actually could order them in an order from least to greatest. Okay. Which was interesting because that tells me that she does recognize that a third is actually bigger than a fifth. But when right. I asked her explicitly, like if I asked her which, uh, how, you know, how, how big a third is, right? Right. She's, and then how big a fifth is, she could show me. And then I said, which one of those is bigger? It was when the comparing happened that okay. that that switch would turn on where she would think that the one fifth was bigger. Oh. Um, and so okay. we had we had to have a couple conversations. And, and there was a couple times where I'm like, really? Are you sure your eyes work? Because <laughs> you're just like, right. the, the size comparison I thought yeah. would be an obvious connection, right? And then... Right. Um, and then we, in our conversations, it turns out that her thinking was really about the the number of pieces. So she was thinking it was the number of pieces that mattered, oh, and not the right. size of the pieces. And so, oh. um, even though she had said several times that you know, like, like I was like, how do you see it that um, that the one third is is less than the one fifth? And she's like, one, two, three, four, five. Five comes after. <laughs> so I knew that yeah. I knew that there was, but it, there was just that little that little piece that was missing um, that I hadn't verbalized for her, that um, that she hadn't been able to verbalize herself as well, that she wasn't able to connect, that it wasn't the number of pieces, it was the size of the pieces that mattered. Oh, well, and, and I think you get like, like just that description, I think you're mm -hmm. getting to the heart of like what I think doesn't, and, and maybe it's just my perspective, doesn't happen enough in math classes where mm -hmm. it's like a conversation with the kid rather than right. like, you, you got X number of problems wrong on this worksheet. Yeah. And like, you don't know this, so let's move on. And it's always been like, I've always been fascinated by like, because I, I had a master's degree in literacy. So that was mm -hmm. my, that was my thing. And then nice. I've always wondered, like, when I looked at math, I'm like, mm -hmm. why don't we teach math, like in small groups? And we have conversations with kids, just like we do when we're talking about a book. Yeah. I would, and even, and I'll just use myself as an example. I would like, I do all these things in small group and then we'd start math and I'd be like, okay, everybody, it would be like, we're back in rows and I'm yeah. doing worksheets. So, I think, <laughs> yeah. but I think, I think you hit that for me, at least it's that discussion with a kid. Yeah. It's going to tell you why they're making that mistake. Absolutely. It's funny you say that because uh, one of my biggest pushes right now, um, and what I try to harp on the most is that we need to think of mathematics as a language. And right. we, need to, we need to teach it as if it's a language. And if we did that, then you would see that that same sort of thing would happen. But for whatever mm -hmm. reason, like you said, like whenever we get to that idea that we're teaching math, it's, it's I'm going to show you problems and you're going to repeat these steps. Mm -hmm. And then, yay, we celebrate how bright we are because we we've made a bunch of calculators. And that's not, one, what mathematics is. Right. And two, that's not what we should be teaching our kids for the 21st century. Like that's, that was great 150 years ago. Right. But it's not relevant anymore. We have computers that can do that stuff. So so I want to back it up just a minute because um, there, there's just something that I'm just really naive about. Like you, you mentioned the math talks or mm -hmm. the number talks, and mm -hmm. I'm just I'm just naive to what they are. So I think that w everything you and Ben just talked about will probably make more sense if I know what that is. So could you explain that to me, please? <laughs> Come on, man. Catch up. <laughs> 
it's that double IPA, seven. <laughs> yeah. So, no, it's more of, well, it might be the double IPA, it but it's, it's a lot of just the fact that I haven't taken math in 20 years, let alone sure. participated right. in, like, my math classes were, you know, here, you're going to do one through 37 odd, and yeah. um, right. there's going to be a homework quiz tomorrow. And, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. well, and for me, the homework quiz, what that was, was make sure I just at least write down the problems the night before right. if I didn't have time mm-hmm. to actually do them. That way I could at least have the problem and try to work it out when the homework quiz rolled around because you didn't know which ones it was going to be. So right. it's it's a lot of just ignorance to a lot of the terminology at this point because I haven't been around right. it that long. Yeah, absolutely. Um, ben, do you want to take that or do you want me to? Well, I mean, so, so number talks and there's math talks, number talks, number talks is a particular book that came out mm-hmm. with a, with a, where you basically bring kids together. And at least I have teachers that use it and it's very much a mental math activity where you're asking kids to come up with different ways to solve them. So I just watched a teacher, I just watched a teacher two days ago in a formal do he actually did an amazing job using a number talks and his kids were just finished doing area model with multiplication. And he was using that as a gateway to introduce fractions because kids were breaking numbers apart. So the number was 200 and kids were breaking it into a hundred and a hundred. And he was trying to get them. He kind of introduced it as, Hey, do you see that there's a fraction in there? And it was so fascinating because he knew they were like, you could just see their brains kind of go boom. Like they were like, mm-hmm. no, we're doing multiplication. Why would there be a fraction in here? So yeah. it really what, what I see is my teachers and at least how I've always done it is giving kids a problem and then letting them come up with a strategy. And then the teacher will script that strategy. And it's mm-hmm. purely mental, at least, mm-hmm. at least in, in the number of talks that I've done. So okay. I mean, what, what is your take on that? That's, that's a really well said. That's exactly. Yeah. So basically it's, um, you know, kids are in younger grades are on, on the carpet in, in all the grades, mm-hmm. you know, probably four right. and up. Um, they can be sitting at their desk or something like that. Uh, sometimes uh, the, the teacher may have like them scribe something, mm-hmm. you know, if, if for the older grades is a kind of like accountability issue or whatever. But the, the bottom line is, yeah, it's, it's a mental math computation thing. So they're given the chance to um, do a problem. And it's usually, uh, you know, your basic operation kind of thing right. or um, something that is not so like arduous that you would need, you know, pen and paper for right. um, or whatever to, yeah. but yeah. it's really about, Oh, good. I'm sorry. I, I was just I was envisioning it just off my initial um, just thought of what it was, um, mm-hmm. kind of like uh, a Socratic seminar kind of deal with math. That's mm-hmm. kind of yeah. what I was envisioning. And while after your explanation, I, I have a better understanding now. Um, I don't necessarily see it as the Socratic seminar, but I could see how it could be one, especially yeah. with like if you mm-hmm. got like fourth and fifth graders where mm-hmm. you can get them settled down a little bit more. See, first first graders, I think it'd be pretty tough. To sure. run like a Socratic seminar kind of deal, but I could totally see the two circles of kids talking about math, and then the teacher giving the topic, and then the kids just talking it out. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's sure. it's exactly it's uh usually when they're sharing, it's you know one voice at a time, but you right. do have a lot of a lot of um, opportunities for students to like partner share first, so that way they get a chance to share, and then well, and then. And, and I, yeah, and I see, I see like what I think is so beautiful about a number talk is like kids will come up with this strategy and we talk about like kids have their own strategies and then you get into a whole conversation about um, efficiency of strategies and things mm-hmm. like that. But really it's about like kids sharing their ideas and then other kids will, will grasp onto that and add to the discussion. Yeah. And I mean, when you, when you see a really beautiful one and I got to say like, shout out to my teacher, Mr. Harris, because that dude, he rocked it. I was just, I'm like, he just stood there and scribed and kids were like, no, I think it's this. Like, are, and they would ask each other questions 
And then it was like, like, I almost felt like I'm like, you know, you could have just come back here and sat at the table with me and watched this because the kids ran it. And that's, that's when it becomes super powerful. That's when it's beautiful. Absolutely. It's like an orchestra. And then like the kids just get excited because it's their own thinking. And then like, yeah. And it's funny too, because you have kids that want to share out, but their Mm -hmm. method has already been, already been shared. So they're like, you can see them like trying to calculate a new way to do it and stuff like that. And that's, that's always fun. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think, I think for me, what I saw, what I saw was so powerful in it was it created flexibility of thinking about mathematics. Like you Mm -hmm. were saying, there's not just one way to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's always funny. We watch those kids try to do the standard algorithm Mm because we are talking about basic math, like addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, and kids will try to do the standard algorithm in their head. And you're Mm -hmm. like, man, good luck doing like triple digit multiplication in your head. (laughs) (laughs) You need to break the number apart. I'm just throwing that. Yeah. That's when those place value strategies really come in. Yes, exactly. But it, I remember one time when I was watching one and a kid did a double and halving strategy. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd heard about them and, I, and they, the first time I saw them, they blew my mind. But when I actually saw a kid doing one, it, I, oh. I just could not believe like, so And I, the number, um, it was 18 times like mm, 23 or something like that. Mm. So it, was, it wasn't something that you could obviously right. just go, oh yeah. And so he, he took half of 18 and doubled the 23. Mm-hmm. And, and then that was just, a, it was a smaller number. So it was easier for him to, con- to, to compute. And I was just like, right. how brilliant is that? And so well, it is, it is, it's so amazing what kids, when you let them loose with numbers mm-hmm. and that's that. And I think, like, I know you like read like uh, Joe Bowler and these people that, that talk about math instruction and they talk about letting kids play with numbers mm-hmm. and then they, they will come up with their own brilliant way to solve it as opposed to like, I mean, I I'm like you, Kyle. I just, I remember like just getting through math and it was just a bunch of problems. And it, I and you, know, I was super stoked if it was the odd problems. Cause I knew the answers were in the back of the book. And I was just <laughs> yeah. Copying yeah. Down. yeah. So, yeah, no, I just, I, I really, I enjoyed math up until, like I, like I mentioned in the episode of Lisa, up until pre-calculus. And it was mm-hmm. at that point where in the past it was, you know, the whole fake it and you can make it kind of deal where yeah. as long as I had <laughs> some base knowledge, I could get it. And, I mean, algebra was fine. And then even geometry minus a couple uh, different concepts uh, like geometric proofs I wasn't a big fan of. You know, sure. and then trigonometry. I, I think trigonometry was probably my favorite one mm-hmm. when I got into that. But then... As soon as I got into pre-calculus, it was the same thing, though, like where it was just the teacher standing there drawing on the board and going over some stuff for a little bit at turning around saying, like, does that make sense? Everybody looking like, you know, zombies and mm-hmm. say, OK, now here you got one through thirty nine odd. Whatever you don't get done here is homework and we get a homework quiz tomorrow. And that's when math just kind of left me. Yeah. But mm-hmm. when I got to college and you're required to take a math course, I remember how. You know, algebra came easy to me, so I didn't want to. I, I didn't want to take so such an easy math class. I didn't want to mm-hmm. and just blow through it. But mm-hmm. I didn't want to, you know, take the calculus class that my placement test told me I should take because I'm, I'm yeah. not. I'm not going to work that hard for a class that I'm probably never ever going to use. Sure. After this, so I took trigonometry in college and I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I will say the professor I had was probably one of the creepiest professors I ever had. <laughs> so he, this guy was, well, and what he did too, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here, but this professor, no, right. <laughs> he, we had chalkboard in the room and he used yellow chalk and he what? wore a cardigan and khakis every day. 
and he would erase the board with his hand instead of a, an eraser. So oh. he's got all this yellow chalk dust in his hand, and then he'd wipe it on his pants. So he had these big giant yellow stains, <laughs> oh like on his pant legs. And uh, well, then he would just say these really just weird off off things, and like, <laughs> oh, he was he was a character that guy. But but again, I enjoyed trigonometry, so it was a decent yeah. class. Yeah. So, but you were in the high school environment for a long time. Right. What levels of math did you teach? Or and what, really, what kind of what were your favorite ones that you taught when you were there? I'm sorry, Kyle. I missed that. The kind of pause for a second. Oh, so the question question was: so when you were in the high school environment, what what levels of math were you teaching, and what was your favorite one to teach, and why? Oh, good question. Um, So when I first got started teaching, I was teaching uh, back then. It was Casey Review. So uh, half my 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 time was teaching Casey Review. Which, if if you haven't been around a long time, uh, California used to have a a high school exit exam, and you took it in your sophomore year. And if you didn't pass, then by law you had to take remedial classes until you passed it so um we had so a had, similar um, thing in nevada for a long yeah. time yeah 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 it was, it was pretty pretty universal um so i had a lot of kids that weren't already you know feeling super awesome about math and then you know sophomore year they fell that and so they're losing their electives uh taking retaking this class plus they probably already had a math class if they're a junior because they need three years anyways so uh so they're doubling up on that and it doesn't count the casey math doesn't count as a review so uh, so you had some kids that weren't super awesome about math um, or feeling really good about school in general. And then uh, I taught uh, algebra for the first uh, few years. And then I think year, I don't remember. Um, I went to teaching uh, AP Calc and Trig and then Geometry. And I still had some Casey Review uh, classes. And at first, the Casey Review classes were the classes that uh, were hardest to teach, um, more for like, um, finding ways to motivate students that hadn't been successful for so long. Um, and I loved, I loved calculus as a subject. So that was kind of a favorite for a while, but actually it turned out to be the AP Cal- or the, um, the Casey review classes turned out to be my favorites because, uh, because of the students that were in there, they, they were ones that, um, there's something about, uh, both poverty or, uh, being unsuccessful that re- like raises kids' resilience and, uh, and then that they um, they have this strong sense of humor and like they get beat down a lot, but like they keep coming back. And I always admired that about them. Like um, just as a general, as a group, they were just amazing. Um, plus, they're the ones that when you walked across campus, they'd be shouting out, you know, Roosh, what's up? And that kind of stuff. So it was just like um, they just had a lot of life and zest and like uh, like even though, you know, not not all of them um, had had the best of times in life, uh, they would mm-hmm. just wonderful people and uh, I really enjoyed enjoy teaching them and being with them and, and uh, learning together with them so I, I kind of sense a theme with that because um, a, a really good friend of mine when I lived in Las Vegas he was a math teacher as well and he would teach you know a couple section geometry a couple section algebra and then he had I forget what we called it here in Nevada but um, the, the Nevada proficiency test if you didn't pass the right. math one you took the mm-hmm. you took the remedial one and he, right. he said the same thing he said that was his favorite those were his favorite classes because he felt he had more of an impact with those kids where, you know, you you pass algebra. Awesome. You know, I'm probably not going to ever see you again, but he just felt like he made much, a much better connection with the kids in that. And then the way it worked in Nevada, at least in his school and other schools around Las Vegas at the time was once the kid worked in that class for a little bit, they would have periodic retakes. It wasn't like a set. Mm -hmm. We're going to do this in February. They would do it periodically, and once the kid passed, then they could uh, 
be withdrawn from the course, get credit for the course, and then either mm-hmm. have open period or go be a student aide or something along those lines or whatever. So um, he said that like while the class was kind of a revolving door a little bit, but he enjoyed that though too because he knew once those kids were gone, it, it meant that they were successful. It wasn't because they just dropped out or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a really good um, one of my favorite uh, stories from that experience. I had a, a student; she had never gotten an A in well any class, let alone a math class. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had her as a freshman, and then here she is now a senior. Um, you know, it's the last semester. She's worried that she's not going to graduate. And uh, same sort of thing. So they can take them periodically, especially as a senior. They have a couple more mm-hmm. checkpoints along the way. And so she actually uh, not only passed, she got an A in my class. And to give you an idea of how dedicated she was and how much that was meant to her, it's she's graduating high school. And she actually comes in, um, like seniors have that week off or whatever before mm-hmm. the you know, graduation and stuff like that. And grades are technically due. She's like, Mr. Roosh, I have like a 88%. What can I do? And I said, all right, well, um, you know, that's kind of like, so I, I gave her some things that she, some options she could do. And so she stayed after school to make up some work things that she had missed just to give, just to give her that boost so that she could, when all her friends were out having fun and doing, doing whatever, like just the dedication and the impact, like for her. And then on the stage, like she was crying that night at her graduation and like um, her mom was just so excited. So like that lasted, that created a memory that's going to last for me. You know, I still get tears, like just thinking about it, like the impact of, of that process and like how much that meant to her. So. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I think I always wonder, like there's this stigma or, or whatever you want to call it. Like people say, I'm not a math person. I am a math person or math is hard, those kind of things. And then you never really hear that. Like history is hard. I'm not a history person, but I think, <laughs> right. like in those classes where you're working with kids who maybe have never been successful in math for whatever reason, at some point, at some point something happened or whatever it was mm-hmm. like, you're able to give them that those tools and they, they actually get those wins. That's gotta be pretty powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Especially um, like kids kind of start to know early on, like you can even see it in like second grade when kids start to see like, they're not quote unquote a math person, you know, yep. even though that's not really a thing. Right. Um, but in high school, especially because then by then they those things have kind of been formed, you know, like mm-hmm. almost formalized in their brains. Um, so when when you have those opportunities to kind of like let them see math in different ways and have like a belief in themselves that they actually mm-hmm. are capable and have mathematical thoughts, like it's it's amazing to see how that transforms not just the perspective of themselves, but like um, that same young lady I was just talking about. She said um, she no longer viewed herself as being stupid, and and like that was like so powerful you know to like to for her to realize that she had a uh, a brain that was working just as fine as everyone else's and like was quite as capable as anyone else so well and i think i think that kind of like that kind of leads into like we've talked to lisa about like the math reps and those kind Mm -hmm. of things in elementary like like what is your work in high school and then the work on what you guys are doing with the book like what is Mm -hmm. what does that look like in high school to support those kids to help them get to those places good question i was bringing it back to that so um one of the things with math reps that uh, is super powerful is that it gives opportunities for for students to practice skills in kind of like a fun and non-threatening way but the other thing is is that like in high school like one of the things that i'm doing with them is is giving them they're getting the same rep every day even though like we may change out the the number for example mm-hmm. um so like with the kids i'm working with now we're doing, doing fractions um, and today we just did, we did 12 fifths. It was the first fraction that they saw that was bigger than one. 
and that was that was a stretch for them. So they're doing we're doing a progression based off of Graham Fletcher's um, representations of the three three models of of how you see mm-hmm. uh, a fraction, right? So you have a linear model, a set model, an area model, and then I have an equivalent fraction set up because uh, you need equivalencies for doing um, multiplication, addition, subtraction operations that we're going to be doing with in a little bit. And so um, one of the kids happened to just say, for example, uh, she's a fourth grader. She was like, hey, Mr. Roosh, um, you know, my grandma uh, was talking to me about school and I said, we're working on fractions in school. And uh, she's like, oh, yeah. So she gave her a fraction and then she not only showed her like an equivalent fraction, she showed her all the different representations of it. And she was just beaming smile, you know, (laughs) on her face. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And I was like, was your grandma surprised? And she was like, yeah, she didn't know I knew so much about fractions. And so, and that just comes from the, the, the represent the multiple reps through with the, the math rep on. And so the other thing is, is that because they're able to see that growth over time, they're getting more confident. The other thing is, is that, that when they, they go back and you can actually, you can actually see how it's formulating in their head. Like, so I have, I, I pick students to present once they're done. Um, and so just to be clear about the process of what it looks like, mm-hmm. um, they come in, and then that's kind of like their warm-up. So that I give them about, you know, three to four minutes. And I, I, I promise them that it's not about how fast, but you will find that you're, you're getting more efficient with your time because the process mm-hmm. is becoming more. Um, but all I'm asking you to do is do as much as you can during that time because it's not about speed, it's about depth. So, um, so what they're finding is that they're getting excited, usually like in the space of things, like putting them into the place. And so today, like, when they get that, when they get one done, like I have a I have a kid, um, that the only thing he can do is find the equivalent fractions. Like that's where he's he's really strong at, but the other models he can't quite figure out yet. And so, uh, but that's his go-to. So every day he's got to win, right? Like right away. And some days he's the only one that can figure that out. So it's it's just, it's it's been kind of cool to watch them even earn that. But now he like he's now getting to the point where he can do the area model. So like. He started to see the transference, and so his and what he realized is that the way he finds equivalency is to area models. It's a comparison of area models, and so he just is like, "Oh, that's just this." And so the, it's giving kids these connections in one spot, but they're also being able to see where their where their um, the growth is coming from as they as they see it day in and day out. So I see the kids three times a week, and you know, even even this week, I just finished the one groups and the, the kids went from not being able to do fractions less than one to now being able to handle fractions greater than one and, and four reps. So the, the process of just four reps has made a tremendous impact. Now it's not every kid, obviously, uh, but just the growth within within each of the kids uh, has been phenomenal and watching them be able to articulate that growth has been uh, been really powerful. So uh, that's kind of the, the journey of it. One of the things that, like, in a structural kind of format, um, and a sixth grade teacher taught me this, uh, that I was able to do uh, with middle school and high school, was um, because paper is hard to make copies of every time. So, um, putting the putting the paper into a into a sleeve, into a, like a uh, copy. What do you call? Them? Uh, like a like a sheet cover. Yeah, like a sheet cover. Yeah, thank you. Something <laughs> laminated. Yeah, the, I'm like, you don't laminate it's clear. it. But it yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's Who's right having the double IPA now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so uh, you slide that in, and then you know you let the you let the kids take that, and then um, you know we had iPads, so the kids would just take a picture of their work, and then um, I made a I made a format of a of a Google Doc, right? So uh, sorry, Google Slides, and it had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday on it, and then what the kids would do is they would just upload their their picture of their work into the day, 
and then they would oh, oh that's and genius then, and then yeah. and if they did it just right then on friday what they do is we would do one more rep and then they would write a paragraph about how did they see their growth over the week so oh, involving oh. technology into it right. but also like an organizational skill but mm -hmm. also metacognition about like and so and the way i had it envisioned in my head um, now, when you import it, not every kid puts it exactly how I see it, but like, mm -hmm. you know, if you could imagine it, it would be like a, like if you took a, a thing of papers and like flipped them through, you could literally see the, like an animation of how, how it moved. Right. And that's kind of how I had it in my head. Like I was hoping kids would see, right? So then, so every Friday we took a little bit longer. And so that was, we didn't have a homework quiz. That was their quiz, was their, was their paragraph of, of metacognition based on how they saw their growth over the, over the course of the week. Yeah, you're uh -huh. hitting so many different areas there. Uh, like you said, the organizational skills yeah. and the metacognition and then cross-curricular by having them write about mm -hmm. math where um, I honestly, the only thing I can ever remember about writing in math was we had to do we had to do a research paper on um, something mathematically related. And I think I ended up doing a paper on like Einstein and E equals MC squared or something like that. Um, so like nice, getting them yeah. getting them writing in math that's a, that's a beautiful thing because I don't I that's something I just don't think is is happening very often and then mm -hmm. I feel like you and I um talked at one time too about some of the other ways that you could um use different tools in order to not not use the paper so much I I, I think um what I think it was you and Joe Marquez and I were talking one time about how you guys took the format of a rocket book with the, with oh, the yeah. different things and you made you, out of cardboard you made a frame then hung yeah. it up on a whiteboard to where yeah. the kids would draw with white with dry erase markers and then they would use the rocket book app to take a picture of it and it would upload just like the the rocket book would yeah yeah exactly yeah and so um you can modify that now with even uh like um uh, Flipgrid does the same thing. So you can actually even just do that with Flipgrid where the kids record they're thinking about a problem and then, uh, you know, it automatically goes into the space and then you have a, a like a playlist basically of different kids explaining their thinking. Yeah, and what's beautiful with that, uh, the Flipgrid update is that before, like you would have the kid recording them drawing it out on the screen but now there's the whiteboard yeah. right in flipgrid like they don't even yeah. have to they don't they even have, have to draw to. on a whiteboard or um that's true you know another friend of the show eddie campos you know he has the uh the whiteboard for the desktops and mm -hmm. stuff where you can just yeah. draw right on the desk and uh you know there there's just, there's so many different ways that, it, that there's no excuse to not be able to you know, do something like this because Absolutely. there's just so many different ways you could do it, whether it's just plain old pencil and paper, uh, yeah. the whiteboard, the 360 mathing. That was something that was big out of school. I worked at for a while with, with yeah. the kids up and uh, working all around the room and then mm -hmm. shifting around and looking at each other's work. Uh, th there's just so many different ways you can approach this now and make math so much more fluid versus just the static that it was when I was taking it. Absolutely. Yeah. And with the math reps, one of the things that's really awesome with it is if you think of them as like a modular piece, you give, you have the opportunity to like truly differentiate for every student in your classroom. So as you're going through this process, you could see that like little Timmy, he's still struggling with, you know, fill in the blank, right? Multiplication mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, but, you know, Susie, she's really good at, at this piece. So now you can actually take out one of those boxes and put in a different representation or a different kind of problem, mm -hmm. or you can build at additional pieces, even, even though it's the same you know, the same math rep, you're still taking out pieces of it and giving her more of what she needs versus, uh, you know, just the same static thing every time. So that, that part is really cool. 
And uh, what I what I wanted to do, but I haven't had the chance yet, is take them into a complete digital space. So, um, like with explain everything or notability, um, mm-hmm. using that as as the next level would be something uh, that I'm looking into as developing as part of that process for making it more of a um, less of a paper trail, more of a digital digital space. Right. But well, yeah, there's there's tons of work you can do with it. Yeah, and, and what I'm thinking of too is that. Uh, just applying all the stuff that we've learned from Lisa and you thus far from the elementary space into the high school space where where you've got a kid that you, you've moved on into equations with two variables, but you've mm-hmm. got a kid that's still having a hard time with the one one variable equations mm-hmm. where those math reps, you, everybody's still hitting those things. Mm-hmm. Everybody's still working on them. So, so Susie over here that's mastered that, she's like, okay, can I move on? But... You know, little Johnny over here that's still struggling with the one step. He's like, "Well, I can't move on. It doesn't matter because the kids can still do all that stuff." And uh, yeah, you know that, and that's and that's great because I didn't struggle with the math that much, but I can remember some of my classmates uh, in school where, yeah, we're moving on to that stuff, and they still don't get the other stuff. And the teachers' attitudes were like, "Well, you got to get with the program. We're moving on." Yeah, that would be me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I fully didn't understand math till you have to work construction and pour concrete. And then all yeah. of a sudden, measurement is really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fractions totally make way more sense when you're worried about putting things together. Yeah. <laughs> so true. I When I was teaching college, I had a, a guy that was coming back as like a second career, but he actually owned a construction business. Mm-hmm. And so we were, te- well, I was teaching him algebra, and he's like, yeah, I don't get any of this stuff. And I was like, you were just talking about literally building a staircase. What do you mean you don't understand this? So when he understood it in the framework of like his life experiences, all of a sudden math was accessible and he totally, he totally got an A in the course because he could, he could transfer it at that point, but no one had ever, or he hadn't been able to connect the two as two separate things they were, or sorry, as two things over the, you know, two sides of the same coin, they were separate things for him. So. Well, in, in your experience in teaching, especially high school and every, and, and high school math and now working with younger kids, do you, mm-hmm. do you see that a lot with like, like kids need an actual, I don't know, not so much a an abstract. They need like some kids just need a a real life representation of that mathematics. Yeah, especially especially nowadays more than anything, um, I'm mm-hmm. seeing that uh, context makes makes problems that wouldn't be accessible completely accessible. So like the beauty of like a three act task is mm-hmm. that a lot of times it gives them a purpose or a reason for the thing that they need to know. Um, I remember doing a lesson. Uh, it was a three act task from I think it was Graham Fletcher. Um, with apples and and like a, the teachers had cut up the apples in a like a staff meeting and a, so you know the kids were wondering like well how many apples do you have is there enough apples like all these different questions mm-hmm. and based they're cutting them into fourths and so they're wondering like do they have enough apples for every person to have at least a slice right and so the kids generated the question the kids were doing it was like thirteen apples and they had to figure out how you know if that was enough so they're counting thirteen by four. And then they're figuring, and then like we threw in random things, like what if one person doesn't want one, but one person wants four pieces, you know, like how does that, how does that corn? And so they were able to do, you know, fluency with the, with the fractions all because it was a context that they could see and visualize and like make sense of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and also if you can, if you can some, somehow apply the, their lives like or their parents like jobs or whatever to mm-hmm. the different secondary to that that makes it a little bit more relevant as well and I, like yeah i know down where you're at um as much as people don't really realize it there's a lot of math around where you're at with the farms you absolutely know, you, you know, i mean absolutely. you're in the central valley where you mm-hmm. know math is very important to whether a crop's going to be successful or not because yeah. too much too much of a specific pesticide is going to kill the crop 
completely yeah. versus, you know, just killing off the bugs or something like that. So I, I, I could totally see how, you know, re- rewriting the problems and the activities to where it applies to something like that mm-hmm. makes it just that much more relevant to the students yeah, as well. Absolutely. It's funny because the, the train, the super train is coming through our neighborhood. And so uh, it's actually physically finally being set so kids can actually see it. And they're, you know, oh, we're wow. talking about and uh, not the not the track hasn't been laid yet or anything, but right. like the, the, where the track's going to be built. So you can actually see it. And so um, just even in that, like they're making these huge dips. And like so some of the kids were like wondering, like, what what is that? Like, and, you know, and, and so I actually stopped the other day and took a picture of it and was showing it to him because it's one of those big dump trucks. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to find a picture. I couldn't. I couldn't get to him to actually like stand next to it or whatever, but the, you know, the tires are, are about one and a half of me. Right. And so yeah. I, was, I was, I was telling him, so that's the scale of that thing. And like that, look how tiny that, that dump truck thing looks, you know, way out there. So, well, then um, you can get into like once the tracks are laid and just, and the amount of land, the clearance around the tracks, whatever, mm-hmm. you can start getting into things like the amount of land that had to be used to build that train. It's not just yeah. about the, uh, you know, four feet, eight inches or whatever the gauge of a, of a train track is. It's yeah. not just that. It, you're talking about j- like a probably a hundred foot wide strip minimum mm-hmm. just to build the train. So that, now you start getting into talking about was this train worth it? Because now look at all the land that could be used for something else. So yeah. that can spark different conversations, not just about math at that point even. Yeah. Well, and even now, because, you know, water is still an issue in the state. Yeah. So like in, in literally in where that track is at, there's a sign just down the road from that that says build dams, not, not tracks or something like that. You know? So like you can even get into, um, you know, a really good conversation, you know, talking about like the Socratic seminar earlier, like mm-hmm. where mathematics could be the tool that you use to justify your answer, you know, one way or the other. So it actually becomes a, a an argument based off of, off of mathematics. So that could be really fun too. Well, and I, I think you hit on something there too. When you, when you think about discussions that, that we have, about social issues and things like that mm-hmm. mathematics is a huge part of that because we talk about like investment of money when you talk about use of land all those things i mean if kids don't have a basic mathematical even just a basic mathematical understanding of like graphing and things like that they're they're kind of at a loss mm-hmm. absolutely and a lot of times it's not even the the like what we think about as mathematics is usually like arithmetic kinds of things mm-hmm. like um, but even like understanding that mathematics is really like, and for me at least, mathematics is really about two things. One, it's seeking patterns, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's generalizing. Right. So it kind of it's kind of like two sides of the same coin, where we our brains are wired to figure out like cause and effect kinds of things, mm-hmm. and, which is seeking patterns. And then we generally try to generalize, like if I do this, you know, does this happen, right? So like my son's six months old, and every time he gets something, he's banging it, right? Because he's discovered that like that makes noise when he does that. And you can Mm -hmm. see like he's in that process already at that early age. Right. So um, I think if we can think of mathematics in that way, then we realize that we do math almost every day. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I usually am not completely awake in the mornings when I'm driving. I probably shouldn't say that out loud. (laughs) You know, like I, when I come to a stop sign in my neighborhood, you know, I stop and I look, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go because I'm trusting that it's pretty much everyone else is going to be doing the same thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't stop, especially because it's been foggy the last couple of days. I don't stop, you know, get out and walk and, like, you know, look and, and like, um, I'm trusting that that's a pattern that I've recognized that, you know, that I, I would be able to go forward to or, like, 
you know, driving down the highway, I'm assuming that everyone's going to be staying in their lane, right? Like mm -hmm. in the, in the, as the cars come on onto the highway, the pattern has been my entire life that, you know, they stay in their lane. They don't, they don't all of a sudden decide to turn left or, you know, <laughs> or well, whatever. And there's math in that too. Like yeah. Said, they're like, I've done this X number of times and the chances of somebody pulling into my lane is this so statistically <laughs> yeah. i'm yeah. safer just doing this i don't think yeah. it, we don't ever think about that we don't know it's, it's just part of our lives and i think it's just part of the yeah that, i think that's super powerful when you have those discussions with kids this is like mm -hmm. you're right it's math is not a set number of problems on a worksheet no that's not at all <laughs> not at all no, and, and there's one thing there's one more thing sorry Kyle. go ahead Pat. oh no I, I was just gonna say about like how math it just uh, going getting away from the worksheets thing like you said ben yeah. where it, it's it's just so much more practical like you know mm -hmm. you're talking about driving and the patterns whatever and i'm thinking about how um in a given week knowing how far i drive to work and back every day mm -hmm. knowing how much a gallon of gas costs right now how much am i going to spend this week you know i can estimate that just based off of you know simple math skills that sure. you know a lot of kids struggle with because a they get that mindset that they're not good at math, and B, they don't see the practical side of it. They just see the mm -hmm. the problems on the worksheet, or as you like to say a lot of times on Twitter, I love this is the big freaking packet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. which is is like the running like sarcastic is joke I can possibly make because like <laughs> math is taught usually like as a big freaking packet, and and mm -hmm. like it just it's so sad to see that like it's this dead thing, you know, like how stale and sterile is that like. Um, right. I can't even, I can't even imagine. Um, yeah. And, and it's so great when, um, you and, uh, you know, previous guest Corey Mathias, you guys get going on that sometimes yeah. Yeah. on there. And for the outsider looking in, if they were to read that, they, they're probably just flat out appalled. I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to start it, it's on a one of my favorite. I love, hey, hashtag kill your copier. Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine some of the, uh, the snarky, like, people taking it seriously the the responses yeah. you've probably gotten before where where you just take it and you're just like uh, i can't believe how incredibly naive you are to this joke right now <laughs> so. well and i hope that in the outlandishness that we produce that like it is pretty obvious that it wouldn't be but i would hope I'm, so yeah. i would I, hope I, so like when, when you talk about like the engagement <laughs> of of the the four pound packet or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and i have to say that um Jesus Huerta has come up with some pretty good ones on there as well. Like he's been, uh, he's been jumping in and Paul Gordon as well. Yeah. Been, uh, I, I think my favorite had something to do with, uh, the, the heavier, the packet, the, the heavier, the influence on engagement or something. Yeah. So, <laughs> so but, uh, classic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I love it. But, um, um, there was one more thing I wanted to, to hit on with the, uh, math reps. I know we're getting a little long in yeah, the tooth. But, oh no, um, you're fine. No, this no, is no, great. Um, so uh, I'll start with a story and then I'll, I'll wrap up with that. So the, um, a couple, like a year and a half ago, um, we were doing a Q-Bold session and a, a high school math teacher had come in and she was teaching integrated math three. And uh, we had done the session on, on math reps. And then uh, she went home inspired and actually created a, a math rep. It's actually in the math reps folder, right? And so mm -hmm. she uh, then emailed me and said, they got it like a week later, they got it. And I was like, remind me what they got <laughs> like, <laughs> like what are you talking about here and uh, what she was saying was that she had been teaching polynomials and so uh, for like a month her kids had been struggling with like how to find zeros the different representations of polynomials and all the different things like there were these there were these subsets that were just completely just like un unconnected 
right? Mm -hmm. And one of the issues with, with the way math is taught is that we usually think of it as like, I learned this thing, okay, now I can forget about it because the next thing's disconnected to it, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what the struggle she was encouraging or encountering, I should say. And then with the math rep that she created, what she found is by putting them all in one space where the kids had to go through that process all in one space, it was within one session they were able to like, the light balls were going off. Like the kids were able to see that, oh, when I factor and when I'm finding zeros, those are the same process. I'm just doing different things. I'm looking at it from a different perspective. And so it, for her, it was like this huge win because now her kids were able to understand the, the full, the through line through all the different representations that she was seeing. Um, so that's one of the beautiful things about uh, math reps and, and the ones that I've seen. And some people out on Twitter right now are like designing amazing ones that like, I'm like, that's an amazing idea. Um, and so one of the things that like I was teaching eighth grade uh, last year, year before, um, and one of the things that I was seeing was that kids have a hard time with in eighth grade with slope, right? And mm -hmm. so I went through all of the, the the frameworks and looked at every representation in eighth grade that they needed to see slope in. And I made a I made that as my guideline for the math rep. And so now I'm giving it to them even when it's a pre-assessment. Essentially, they're going to see all these representations of a slope, but it's set it's building that that um, like a shelf so that when we see it later on in class in some other context, they'll be able to, they've already have seen that experience. Um, but the other thing is, is that they're going to start to see that the the way that slope is represented is things that they saw back in sixth grade. It's things that they saw back in fifth grade. There's, they're seeing a through line that hopefully, you know, with enough representations that they'll be able to make those connections and build on. So I think one of the other things that's really powerful about math reps is if with through intentionality. And that's one of the things that really got me sold when Lisa and I first started doing it. You know, seeing the some of the things that she had created um, with either by herself or with her team was was this um, all of the representations that so often we don't think about in mathematics, being able to put them all together in one place and then giving kids opportunities to practice with them. It was kind of like doing a, a paper version of a, of a number talk. And it was just really powerful. So that was one of the other things I think um, may not be super obvious at, at the onset, but uh, with experience. Um, it just amazes me the, every time I, I see it or experience that. So, well, I, and I, I think it's brilliant. I mean, I've already like just just from my conversation, our conversation with Lisa, and I've kind of shared a very my very rudimentary knowledge of it with a couple of teachers, and they're like, "Oh my god, that's like that's brilliant!" So I, I'm super excited about when the book comes out. Nice. Yeah, and like like I told Lisa in our episode with her that I I mean I I'm not a math guy. Um, not not because I hate math, but because I just haven't taken it in so long. But I'm excited for this book just because, uh, like you said earlier about just learning new stuff, just always <laughs> always learning mm -hmm. and whatever. It, it's something that j just hearing these conversations from both of you has just kind of inspired me to kind of look at math a little bit differently now instead of just uh, you know just a requirement that my kids have to do to graduate mm -hmm. from high school. So I'm sure. I'm excited yeah. about it as well, and um, I'm really excited that. Um, Lisa is going to be coming to my school to share the knowledge yeah. between the two of you with uh, teachers at my school uh, here really in awesome. a couple of months, and I'm really, yeah. I'm really excited to see that as well. So, but uh, Jeremy, we can't thank you enough for uh, joining us and yes. again on such short notice. So, uh, oh, it's this been is, my pleasure. Yeah, yeah. this is uh, absolutely great that we were able to get you both for back to back episodes like this. Yeah, no, thank you. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun. I, I, I love rapping with you guys. You guys are incredible fun and and. Uh, <laughs> 
Well, and I'm super excited because I'm like writing all these things down. And I'm like, I am so like, so I'll probably DM you on Twitter with some more questions. Please do anytime. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We're, yeah. we, we get tired doing it together. So I love that you're sharing it. And then the only thing I'd ask is that whatever, in whatever format that it comes out, sharing that back to the community, because that's sure. how we all kind of, you know, you guys know that, but yeah, just for yeah, the audience. For sure. yeah. No, it's, I think that's super better. important. Yeah. And just one more thing, just to kind of show you guys, I, you probably can't hear that on podcast, but um, just to kind of show you here. So uh, with the two of the girls that we have in my life, we even do math reps at home. So this is the uh. one that was from <laughs> last Saturday. So uh, doing fractions. So this is the one that we're working with with the tier three kids as well. But you can see the representation here of, oh, cool. of the fraction. So um, it's just literally sitting here next to, <laughs> to the table. I was like, oh yeah, uh, that's, that's there too. <laughs> so it's something that like, not only do we do I do in in professional life, but it's also something, you know, that right. we do in, in personal life too. So. <laughs> awesome. That is so awesome. That's yeah. good stuff. So, all right, well, we, we definitely want to keep this conversation going. Yes. And then, Jeremiah, stick around. We're going to uh, share a little bit of our beer knowledge with you here in a second. But, Ben, um, let's um, let's tell the listeners a little bit about how they can get a hold of us and how they can keep this going. Yeah, so so definitely you can always hit us up. Email us at beeredupodcast at gmail.com. That's our email. You can definitely hit us up on Twitter. Tweet us using the hashtag beeredupod. Or, you know, make sure you, the at Beer EDU pod um, is our Twitter handle. We're on Facebook. Um, the Instagram, that's where we kind of post the fun stuff, uh, <laughs> pictures of beers we're drinking. That's at Beer EDU pod. We've kept it simple. Um, and then make sure that you follow Jeremiah. His uh, Twitter handle is at math, K-A-V-E-L-I, Cavelli, I believe it is. So check him out on Twitter. Um, and then the hashtag math reps, right? Isn't that how it is? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's both both are correct. Okay, perfect. So you got to check that out, and then you can also send us a voice message over on the Anchor app. Um, uh, we'd love to hear from you, and then please give us a review in the iTunes Store. I mean that that helps us out also. And then Kyle, tell them how they can be a guest also. We have a website that um, you know you can learn a little bit more about the show, a little bit more about uh, Ben and I. Um, there's also a guest form there if you go to beeredupodcast.com. We have a tab on there, the contact and subscription info link, uh, where you can uh, get all those different Instagram and Twitter and other social media links, and then also our guest form. You fill that out. Uh, we're going to get you on the show here so you can share your yep. passions and uh, share a frosty soldier with us as well. Yeah, for sure. And and like I said, keep the conversation going. Definitely follow Jeremiah on his uh his Twitter handle. And then now Jeremiah stick around. We're going to, we're going to do some more learning, not about math this time. Now it's time to learn about beer and Kyle, you have one that I hadn't even thought of. You know, and um, I hadn't thought about this before either. I was kind of inspired by our last episode with Lisa, where yep. I had the, uh, the Sam Adams, Boston lager. When mm -hmm. I checked that in on untapped, it, it came through as a Vienna style lager. And I'd seen different beers checked in before, and there's a badge for it. I believe the badge on Untapped is called like Viennaville or something like that. I can't okay. remember exactly what it is, but I I really I was like, you know, I've had these beers before, but really, what is a Vienna Lager? So I had to do a little bit of digging. So I was inspired. So okay. what this is, this is a is a lager, which um, you know ales are more common, so this is more of the less common style of beer, um, and it's named after the Austrian capital city of Vienna. Uh, because mm -hmm. it originated there hundreds of years ago. 
Um, but it also uses Vienna malts, um, one, oh, one of the okay. styles of barley uh, that is uh, very common in beer. Uh, but they often use Munich and Pilsner malts as well. So you're getting a lot of that Central and Eastern European uh, style mm-hmm. Uh, with, with the flavors and the and the style that they're brewing uh, with this style of beer, um, and then they tend to use noble hops, uh, and they don't they don't use a ton of them. It's uh, the the hop character is supposed to be very subtle, more for the most part than your standard North American adjunct macro brew brew, but um, you know, but not overpowering like a pale ale or even an IPA. So, okay. Now color wise. They're going to toast these to where you're going to get a light amber to a medium amber in your color, almost like a reddish hue um, in the beer when you get these. So if you've ever had a Sam Adams, you can definitely see this where it's when you compare it to a standard lager, they're they're definitely darker and have that more reddish hue to it. So Mm -hmm. um, but that that doesn't mean that all of a sudden it's going to be that much different from a standard. lager. It should still be very crisp like a lager is. it's going to be slightly toasty in flavor, pretty malt forward, um, maybe a little caramel sweetness. And, you know, I think back to all the Boston lagers I've had in my day, and you definitely get those um, right. with that style. So it's not a very common style, but um, the ones that if you've never had Sam Adams, if you've ever had some of the Mexican beers that are out there, you've had a Vienna style lager. So because you had a lot of Austrian immigrants in, to Mexico in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And okay. some of those popular brands today, like Dos Equis, um, they oh, okay. that's Dos Equis Amber is an example of this uh, Vienna style lager. So, huh. so there's a there's a handful of the Mexican breweries that brew these uh, styles. So, um, some of the other common ones we mentioned the Sam Adams Boston Lager, the Dos Equis right. Amber. Um, when I was growing up in Michigan, going to college there, Lining Kugels out of Wisconsin was a big one. Oh yeah. And um, I really loved Lining Kugels until they basically just started making shandies, which we actually need yeah. to talk about the shandy, though. <laughs> That's good, yeah. Point. Yeah. So I enjoy a good shandy every now and then, but when the only beer you're brewing anymore seems to be that, that gets a little ridiculous. But that's, that's called Kugel. the Almighty Dollar, my friend. Oh, that's it. That is 100% what it is, and that came out of the mouth of one of the workers at the Lining Kugels Brewery when I visited it a few years ago. Uh-oh. Yeah, absolutely. It was like it was a money decision. So, but they make a red lager that is okay. very, very good. I haven't had one in a very long time. Uh, Sierra Nevada, uh, one of our favorite breweries, they make a Vienna lager uh, that's very good. And then another one of the Mexican ones that you maybe have seen, uh, one that goes really good with tacos, uh, is Victoria. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I, that is a I've Vienna seen it, style but lager. I don't think I've had it. So I don't think I've had it. I believe um, the time that you and I went to see uh, Amigos and had mm-hmm. tacos. That's what I had when uh, we had tacos that time. Oh, okay. So yeah, we need I to go back to see Amigos, by the way. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm <laughs> so, hungry. <laughs> yes. You can never go wrong with tacos. There we go. So. Can't go wrong. But um, yeah, so that's the that's the Vienna style lager. Is right there on. a choice in why they why you would choose Vienna versus another style? Um, I mean, it's I, I just I don't discriminate against beer. I just I, I mm-hmm. like to try them all. Um, I find this one these are. These are good with spicy food, in my opinion. Mm, okay, you know mm-hmm. it kind of cuts the spice a little bit, and um, they're not. While they they do have a little bit more hops in them, they're mm-hmm. not so overpowering that like on a hot day you can't have a couple of them and enjoy them. Whereas mm-hmm. you know 
you know, starting to pound Sierra Nevada torpedoes right. when it's 95 degrees is <laughs> yeah. that's not as enjoyable. Whereas no. I could put down a couple Sam Adams Boston lagers on a hot day and uh, you know still enjoy them at that point. So, and I'm I'm pretty sure that I had many of them when I, on my trip to Munich, where my son pointed out that beers were literally 25 cents at the grocery store. Oh my so gosh. I'm sure, I know, I know. That's what happens when you take a 23-year-old to, to Germany and he figures yeah. things out like that. Well, but it's I didn't funny have you a mentioned... tap, so I have no check-in. So I'm like, yeah. I oh. really wish, I bet I had so many different ones that I'm sure I had one. I had them there. I mean, like I said, I, I, I'd like Dos Equis, um, but I haven't had a Victoria. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned um, – Germany and German beers, whatnot, yeah. that, well, Austria, bordering Germany, right. this mm-hmm. Vienna-style lager, when I was doing my research, it's very similar to, like, the German Marzen, the Oktoberfest style right. as well. Right. So it's it's using a lot of the same malts. Um, mm-hmm. The hops may be a little bit different in the amount of hops. that The Marzens tend to use a little less hops, I think. Right. But, yeah, when you look at the color of a lot of them, a lot of your Marzen and Oktoberfest styles are very similar in color and um you know they're both loggers so they they are very they are closely related right i feel like the marzen is a little a little more if we're using our lawnmower beer comparison i feel it's more <laughs> on a lawnmower beer than than a than um, the Vienna i i could definitely know. put down some oktoberfest mowing the lawn <laughs> over over sierra or not sierra Nevada. well sierra Nevada okay, being a lager but sam adams yeah, yeah. De- the Sam Adams is definitely hoppier than 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 a standard Mars in right. our Oktoberfest. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking that you guys need to really come up with a graphic, like an infographic, <laughs> that, that de- depicts like the the gradient, right? Like a like now, especially with the scale. new, yeah, your own scale, right? Like especially with the the new snowblower model coming out. Yeah. Like, oh, like we should totally do this. Yeah, it's something to work on over over Christmas break. Yeah, we'll put a snowblow. Yeah. Uh, do it like a, a beer political spectrum from from yes. snowblower to lawnmower yeah yeah that this is a great idea so <laughs> all right no see now we'll have we'll try something we're going to send it to you so for approval jeremiah so okay. you can you can you can fact check us i'll appreciate that <laughs> yeah and all this you know we'd have to do it by styles though because if we did it yeah. by, by beers that that would just be impossible so no, we, our graphic would be too big yeah, go, go on like, like uh, by styles. But yeah. Bud Light would be the farthest to the right with the lawnmowers, <laughs> and then oh, then like a a eighteen percent barrel aged imperial stout would be the snowblower beer. We might we might actually do it by guest on the show. So let's just start with Ryan O'Donnell. There you go. <laughs> there we go. We love you, Ryan. We do love you, Ryan. So. We, and we know Ryan loves his beers. Yes, yes he does. He so he hey he switches up to Mick Alter every now and then. <laughs> oh, see now we're gonna get a really nasty phone call on our on our anchor app. I, yeah, no, I'll probably I'll probably get a profanity laced uh, Vox on Voxer now from Ryan O'Donnell. So, but uh, it's all good. I, I actually I love when you uh, when you send me those boxes, Ryan. So so keep them coming, buddy. So, alrighty. Well, hey, that I think that puts a bow on uh, episode fifty two. I think so. I think so. All right, man. Hey, Jeremiah, thank you so much for being on the show. Awesome to have you. Thank you for having me again. That was really a lot of fun, you guys. I enjoyed it. All right. And uh, listeners, thank you very much. And until next time, may the malts and the hops be with you. Right on. (laughs) 